0: John, you really outdid yourself last week, bringing on a guest who ran all of Medicare and Medicaid. Is it all downhill from there?
1: Not at all. We had the former secretary of HHS who ran all of healthcare, David. Well, how about a governor next time? He did that too.
0: Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And
1: I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Now, John, you brought on a real A-lister today. Who we got with us? Governor Mike Leavitt, entrepreneur, secretary of HHS, head of EPA, uh, baseball fan, Uh Great golfer and good friend of, of 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 the Driscoll family. Welcome, Mike
2: John. Thank you. What a nice introduction. That was uh, worth coming just to hear. That was nice. Now I was going to ask which of those
0: things doesn't belong, but that's uh, but that's a very that's very nice. <laughs> now listen, I've been doing a little I've been doing a little reading, and I saw at the beginning of the Trump administration, you were brave enough to make five predictions about healthcare policy. At the outset, outset, and I'm wondering how those those turned out. And I can happily uh, remind you of what what they were, or you can you can revise history if you if you prefer
2: that. Well, that would be a good idea because sometimes we forget our predictions. Sometimes conveniently, and other times just because we can't remember. So, I'd be happy to critique myself. No problem. Uh, if you can remind me.
0: Let me remind you. So they were first of all that the ACA will be repealed, although exactly how that's going to be defined would be determined. A few portions of the ACA are definitely definitely going to be out, like the individual mandate. The replacement must be bipartisan. Medicaid's going to change to give the states more flexibility, and value based care is here to stay.
2: So let's start with number one. Uh, did you say I? suggested it will not be repealed, you said it would be repealed, but you left yourself a little wiggle room it, it got like what that meant i don't i know that that one I'm just going to claim I don't remember uh because i I never thought that they would actually get to repeal uh I worried they they could never find a replacement, and that had been my experience for some time so uh they it, it, as I remember my point of view during that period, they matched it pretty well uh they could repeal, but they could not replace in the Republican Party. And given the nature of the the division of power, uh, it didn't happen.
1: Mike, one of the things that uh, I'm always struck by is that when you talk to the senior people in healthcare on, you're obviously one of the great Republican leaders of your generation from a policy and political perspective. Uh, But whether you're talking to Republicans or Democrats, they largely agree on some of the key elements of reform what? Why couldn't we get a version of the ACA that was bipartisan, reform-oriented, if all the experts, the, D, the Democrats and the Republicans agree?
2: Well, let's just start with the fact that it's hard. And that's the reason, if it were easy, it had been done before, but it has not. And I think when you look at Barack Obama and his history, um, we will say that he did get something done and it started basically a movement Toward reform. Reform takes a long time, and uh, the the molecules needed to move. He got it started. It will iterate through the courts. It'll iterate through one uh, one administration over another. It will list a little bit left and a little bit right. But he got it started with the ACA, and uh, it, clearly not all of that was uh, from from a. Republican point of view, bad, but it was because there was a not-created-here problem, which is very common in Washington. People were against key parts of it that, candidly, were consistent with Republican ideology. Insurance exchanges, for example, that's a Republican idea. It deals with market. It has a market ideology behind it. And yet, because it was proposed by a Democrat, they were uncomfortable with it, and, and, and they opposed it. Um, they have been, they, you can go on other things like that. So I I just think it's partisanism. And it's part of the time in which we live. It's very real part of the human dynamic.
0: John, I'm getting confused. My American history isn't that good, but I think we're going to go backwards and forwards. So let's talk about what actually happened during the Trump administration on the healthcare side. uh, At least there was a lot of, you know, a lot of noise and fury and so on, but what did the Trump administration get right and wrong? On healthcare policy. What what are we left at if we take away some of the uh the bluster?
2: Well, I truth is, um they their primary objective was for three of the four years repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. And they were unable to do that. They used administrative rule to change a lot of things. They they diminished the insurance exchanges that I already have mentioned. They tried to deal Uh, with Medicaid Medicaid expansion in a way that would make that uh, difficult. They took away a lot of the various provisions uh, of the ACA through either uh, rule or guidance. Uh, We now see a new administration, all of that's being reversed. The primary objective of the Biden administration is to restore the Affordable Care Act to its original intent. And I think that's uh, happening. Uh, So if you Pull it all away in terms of the ACA on a a horizon of eight years, there will be very little that occurred during the Trump administration. Now, if you begin to look at other parts of uh, policy, uh, the Trump administration really was only able to deal with regulation. They did not get any significant health legislation through, at least it's occurring to me right now. And as a result of that, uh, things stayed pretty much the same. Uh, John what what what's your view on that? Well, I think
1: the most interesting thing uh during the Trump administration governor happened at the state level where it turned out that Medicaid on the ballot was much more popular than I would have expected even in red states. And as a as a as a three-time governor of a red state, were you surprised by how popular the Medicaid expansion was once it was put on the ballot because that you know historically that's not been a winner Politically, and yet it was pretty resoundingly successful wherever it's been put to a vote.
2: Well, I happen to live in a state and governed a state uh, that was among those that passed Medicaid expansion uh, at the ballot. Uh, they actually what happened was they got it on the ballot. And then there was a essentially a negotiated arrangement with the proponents of the initiative. And they um and and they agreed to not drive the initiative. It was done at the same time that there was another initiative for the legalization of medical marijuana. Uh, And similar thing happened there. Uh, I, I think we are finding that one of the limitations of initiative rulemaking is that you take really complicated things and boil it down to a quite simple question. Put it on the ballot and things pass, and I think that's being used in a lot of places around the country where that has been the the case. It turns out when they actually pass that getting them uh, organized in a way that uh, will uh, not create lots of cascading consequences. Um, it, it it's a it's it's a blunt instrument, and uh, I think it's the reason legislators don't like initiative rule, a uh, lawmaking, and uh, or voter initiative lawmaking. And the other
1: thing, Governor, where I think you got it right is I think the Trump administration, it, it, whether and really not driven by the White House, but by uh, HHS really did keep trying inc- to incrementally expand value-based care. And where I'd give them a C or D on a number of other public health issues, which we don't need to get into, I actually think on, on the expansion of value-based care, CMMI and HHS really made some 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 interesting steps forward to to start to professionalize and modernize the way that uh, Washington views va- you know sort of value engineering value based care any 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 comments on that
2: yes um, I think that if you look at the rare number of things you can get Republicans and Democrats to agree upon value based care is one of them you can they agree that coordinated care is better care than uncoordinated care. Republicans and Democrats agree that the fee-for-service system has been the enemy here and has created much of the dysfunction in our our system. I think Republicans and Democrats agree that ultimately you have to find a way in which to bend the cost curve. All three of those things align in value-based care. Now, as it relates to the Trump administration, uh I think the first uh, secretary, uh, my good friend Tom Price, a physician, was highly skeptical of value-based care, and candidly, uh, his skepticism and the method in which he approached it set value-based care back substantially. Uh, it, 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 it took almost a year after his uh, conclu- uh, after the conclusion of his service under Secretary Azar. For value-based care to regain its momentum, and so I do think that it it made uh, net progress. I think Alex was uh, Azar was very direct in his support of it, but it got off to a slow start, and it was uh, it was hurtful to the to the uh, purpose of value-based care.
0: Governor, you've spoken about you know the importance of looking at Medicare sustainability on the long term and how value-based care was going to be an important part of that. Are you seeing that as an opportunity as we look forward for bipartisan cooperation? And you know how will that tie in with all the other things going on with Medicare, like the expansion of Medicare Advantage and discussion of you know Medicare for all? Can this all be tied together?
2: Well, we're at a point now where healthcare is no longer just healthcare; it's economic policy, and uh, we've been through a period when you look at both changing demographics and now a pandemic. Uh, we have added another almost eight trillion dollars of debt. We're we're pushing up against 28 29 trillion dollars worth of debt a lot of that new debt and there's little question in my mind that we're going to ha- that's going to have an impact uh, we're going to see interest rates ultimately normalize and when they do it's going to draw even more heavily on the revenues of the united states and that is going to put more pressure on every component of of, uh, of the of the U.S. budget, from defense to uh, uh, education to uh, other components of healthcare and research, it's a this is a very profound new dimension. And when that happens, and the entitlement spending in Medicare and Medicaid continue to grow, those who are operating the program are going to have very few options. One of which is to continue to put downward pressure on fee-for-service payments. Or another might be to find ways of pushing more care into a value-based equation where uh, those who are receiving lower payments in fee-for-service can make part of it up by being able to create savings. So I think the economic imperative that has been shaping this all along has just become substantially more acute as a result of the spending that we've been doing over the course of the last year and a half and look to be doing in the next couple of years, I think we're in a race. We're in a race to see if we can make value-based care work, or are we going to have to dramatically cut payment rates and therefore uh, struggle with, with quality? So,
1: Governor, any, any, any thoughts or predictions on uh, President Biden? And his approach to healthcare,
0: John, you told me I, I heard he just said he's just going to just hit the reset button. Boom! It's back in 2011 all over again.
2: Well, I I actually think that's the the first year is going to be all about uh, undoing what the Trump administration did. I think we will then have some kind of discussion about uh, access as meaning Medicare for more people in some form. And when that occurs, uh, we'll have a debate, and the outcome will in fact be. I think largely driven by the outcome of the 2022 election. Uh, As it currently stands, with the margins as thin as they are, I don't think you'll see any major healthcare legislation pass, at least through the the midterm election. There'll be a fair amount of legislating done, but it'll all be done in the context of of the reconciliation. And uh, reconciliation is a complicated subject, but it does allow particularly in healthcare, for a lot of things to uh, happen. And what those will be, I, I don't know with certainty.
1: Well, David, I know you have a hard time with math, but if you look at the math that we just laid out. Studies does the whole country. Didn't you hear about how much money we've been borrowing? <laughs> and, it, and you look at the pressure on state budgets. We've got this short-term boom from all of the CARES Act and its support that in some cases, I think the states are having a hard time fi- finding ways to spend the money. But when those bills to, for just pure Medicaid and Medicare come due, I do think the governor's prediction that there will be a race and it will be fast. At a state level, they can't just print more money. They have to actually, most states have have true balanced budgets. and I, 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 I'm I'm nervous if coverage increases if, it, if the a coverage increases and we don't have a, a better functioning market for value-based care and frankly, insurance. Uh, what the what what happens to those states? I don't know, Mike. Whether you've got any a, a perspective on that, but we're, we're we're six to twelve months away.
2: I, I want to just say, first of all, I thought when the pandemic struck, it was absolutely essential for the federal government to respond, and I thought they did respond and they kept the economy going, and I think we all ought to be deeply appreciative of that. Beyond that, I have to say, I I think we've lost our fiscal minds uh, and all of this spending is going to have some impact. And, you know, there's this new modern monetary theory that it doesn't matter. Well, you know, if it doesn't matter, we're all going to find out that for the last 150 years, we've been thinking about this all wrong and that it's just okay. We can spend any amount of money we want. And I don't, uh, you know, just mark me down as skeptical. I think it's going to have a profound effect, and I think healthcare is going to feel it. And it's going to be just as John said; it's, they're going to feel it first by the exigency and the urgency that uh, public payers begin to feel because of the amount of spending that's going up. I think states are going to be right in the heart of it. They're getting all this one-time money. It, you know, it's going to be it's going to keep everybody very happy for a while. And at some point, we're going to have to deal with the reality that it's not it's not real. And when it happens, um, there will be consequences. And we'll all be around to watch that, I hope.
0: I don't know where to go with that. You know, it reminds me a little bit of sort of like, you know, year 1999 or 2000, when you heard all of a sudden revenue doesn't matter for a company you know, and then there was a bit of a crash, uh, after that happened. It's the same sort of thinking. This is a little higher stakes. It
1: was just an 80%. It was just an 80% decline in, in stock values. And, you know, and, and we've been through this before with the balanced budget act. When we really get serious, it's this massive helicopter blade cost reduction across the board. Well, let's, let's get, let's move to something easy like drug pricing and drug pricing reform and taking a bite out of, of drug pricing inflation. Uh, Governor, any any thoughts? Particularly, be interested in your your thoughts from the perspective of uh, of a governor who actually ran healthcare nationally. You know, I've talked to a lot of uh, Democratic governors and Republican governors who are appalled at at the prices they have to pay uh, for drugs. But none. But the solution really has to be a national one. Uh, Looking at the problem from a market based perspective, do you see any solutions on the horizon? To, to, to slow down uh, the relentless march of prices up without killing the, 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 tr- the terrific innovation that, frankly, has helped us uh, cap this pandemic.
2: Ultimately, the only solution here is for us to begin to use value-based principles in the pricing and the deployment of pharmaceutical innovation. Uh, we have to acknowledge the fact that it, it takes money to do it, but in order to recover, you've got to be able to demonstrate uh, a, a value proposition that if you buy this drug, it's going to reduce spending otherwise, uh, or at least demonstrate real efficacy. And uh, you know, there's a thousand different ways people think about this. It all boils down to whether or not you have a government pricing model or whether you have a a modified regulated market. And uh, uh, I, I'm typically a um, in the camp of the, the regulated marketplace. However, uh, I think like a lot of Americans, I think people are beginning to get, they're getting tired of this, of solutions not just, of just not working. And uh, um, I think it is very possible we could see a Republican Congress who steps in and starts supporting proposals that look a lot like something that Bernie Sanders uh, would have proposed a few years ago, uh, simply because they're tired of solutions not working.
0: Well, you know, I, I think it's tie this uh, this recent comment you just made uh, with the earlier one about the overall kind of insanity. You know, this new drug that's just been approved for, for Alzheimer's I saw a projection from the Kaiser Family Foundation that said that Medicare could end up spending $57 billion a year on the drug, which is more than the rest of Part B drugs combined, which is only $37 billion uh, now. And I wonder whether this is actually something where you've got a drug that's not that efficacious one way or the other, shouldn't have such a broad uh, label. And you know, is this the one where you've got enough attention, there could even be a bipartisan approach toward kind of value-based pricing for for it?
2: I, actually, I think it's a very good example of, 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 of a situation that could drive change. There's, a, there's going to be a point where people are just tired of solutions not working. and, and they're, Members of Congress are just feeling not just ignored, but inadequate uh, in their ability to deal with it, and people aren't going to put up with it. So I think you, you, you could begin to see this draw, drive political change.
0: Well, John, you told me we we're going to solve, if not world hunger, at least the whole healthcare problem on this podcast with this guest. And I'm not saying I'm disappointed, but I won't say we've done it. So, John, how are you going to how are you going to tie this up in a nice knot?
1: It, it, you know, health reform is a journey and no one knows that better than our, our old friend, uh, secretary of HHS, leader of the APA uh, and three time governor and, and uh, long time and still optimist. Uh, Governor Mike
2: Levitt, Thank you for joining us, Mike. My pleasure. Good to be with both of you. And I'm glad I didn't have to referee any more than I did.
0: No kidding. Well, that's it for another edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business
1: Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Thanks for joining. If you like what you heard or didn't, please leave us a comment and remember to subscribe.